Hello everyone, this is Jim Barton and I'm here with Reverend Abigail Conley and this is another episode of Bloody Mary Bible Brunch. Um, we are going to start this episode off by pointing out that this episode is about rape and that biblical stories about rape um, are graphic and emotional and certainly have the potential to trigger strong emotions, um, sort of a psycho-emotional reaction from someone um, who has um, experienced this and with that um, we do want to give you that warning um, to decide if this is the podcast for you. So, turning to what we're talking about, um, one of the things we have to acknowledge when we talk about rape right away is that it's not in the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not rape is not, is not, doesn't make the Big Ten. Right. Because adultery is not rape, and coveting someone's wife is not rape. Right. Um, and so... When we start off to find out what the law says about rape, um, let's say it's more nuanced. I don't know. Um, this is the next section we're going to talk about is that what I call the Kavanaugh passage because it came up during the Kavanaugh confirmations. If you Thank recall, you. yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. So, all of these, I think it's important to note, are steeped in the understanding of women as property, and therefore, rape is not a crime against a person or against an individual. The woman who is raped. It is against the community and against the person who owns her. Right. So these are very different things when we're talking about in our context where we assume individual autonomy and that a woman has a right to make choices for her own body. Right. Um, although we have talked about some of the creepy bro code that does suggest that a woman's virginity perhaps belongs to her brothers or mm -hmm. father until she's married. and right. So we haven't like totally left that. Right. That in the past either. When I got married, I my you know my mom asked, "Is your is he going to go and talk to your dad?" And I looked at her and I was like, "No." Yeah. And <laughs> she was very shocked by this because yeah. my brother-in-law did. Well, so I don't know if if your personhood has effectively been transferred then from your father to your husband. We'd have to look in the records and see if that's still good. Mm -hmm. All right. So the what I want to start calling the Kavanaugh passage now from Deuteronomy twenty-two twenty-three to twenty-nine has three categories. One is if a man happens to meet in a town a virgin pledged to be married. So category one is a man meets a woman in a town, she's a virgin pledged to be married. Category two is he's in the country and he meets a young woman pledged to be married, right? Category three is he comes across a virgin, presumably anywhere, the location's not specified, who is not pledged to be married. And in each case, he rapes her. If she is in a town and he rapes her, the penalty is they both are put to death. Why? Because she could have cried out. And so she didn't cry out, so it's her fault too. But if she's in the country, then only the man is put to death. And then of course, Abby, what's the, what's the rational thing if she's not pledged to be married? Then you marry her. Obviously. Done and done. Right. It, it does say that he can never divorce her as long as he lives. So that, I mean, I kind of am, I'm hoping that was a... There is protection there. Yeah, yeah. And... And hopefully there are some examples of where those people need to be real bitches with those guys. Because you can't divorce them. Right. Um, before we talk about the narrative stories, there is something to talk about the law about what is not rape. And um, there's a... In Deuteronomy 2014, it says, As for the children, the livestock... For the children, for the women, the children, the livestock, and everything else in the city, you may take these as plunder for yourself, and you may use the plunder the Lord gives you from your enemies. So, and then in fact, in Numbers 31, there's a story where Moses um, has this problem. They come back from 
beating up on the Midianites. Um, they're mad about the Midianites because of something to do with Balaam, which is a very confusing story. Sometimes donkeys talk. Mm -hmm. Sometimes Balaam is like seems like a good guy, and then he's a bad guy. The editors really did not. They needed to pick a lane, and they did not with Balaam. Right. Um, but in any case, for our purposes, the point here is that uh, Moses was very upset that they had brought the women back because they were the ones who encouraged uh, Midianites to use to follow Balaam. And what he says is, now kill all the boys, kill every woman who has slept with a man, but save for yourself every girl who has never slept with a man. So just to be extra clear, bringing home um, virgins from war is a-okay. Totally Not right. So, okay, that sucks. I mean, that's a terrible passage. I mean, that, that's the, the way it's laid out is terrible. I think um, one of the things that is terrible about it, I think, is when you were talking about like women are treated as property, is that we see this very sterile way that the, the question is dealt with. If this woman is pledged to someone else, then we put you to death, there's punishment. If she's not, well, now she's your problem. Like, that's a pretty awful human way to do things, but it's also very non-emotional, very sterilized way to do it. In other words, it's a codified law. Yes. I mean, yes. we have the same problems when we read our own laws, just most of us don't do that. Right. That's true. Okay, so now we're going to talk about three examples of rape in the scripture that are supposedly motivated by lust, and one attempted rape that is supposedly motivated by lust. And I'm going to go ahead and call it an attempted rape when we talk about Potiphar's rape. We'll get back to that. It was okay. also a false accusation, I guess, but there's interesting stuff happening. Okay, so first off, um, let's talk about the story of Dinah. You want to do Dinah? Sure. So, um, Dinah is Jacob's daughter, one of the patriarchs, and she has gone out, and while she has gone out, um, she is raped. And he apparently thinks she's beautiful, his heart is drawn to her, and he loves her, but he rapes her anyway. And he spoke tenderly to her. Yes. I don't know what that means. Why? It's an interesting detail. So this detail. is the creepy guy hitting on her at the bar, and yeah. she says no, and he goes for it anyway. Yes. That is... And then speaks tenderly. Right. All right. I mean, you know, that, that was the goal. So Jacob doesn't do anything because he doesn't have any backup. Right. And then what's the rest of the story on Dinah? And then so Dinah's brothers come and kill the people who raped her. Right. So that seems like, and that's definitely like a push, like the uh, standing up for your sister kind of thing. Right. Um, because uh, Jacob asked them, now we're in trouble, now the rest of the Perizzites and Jebusites are going to be mad at us or whatever. And um, they said, um, should he have treated our sister like a prostitute? Which, I don't, that doesn't seem like an answer to the question. It does not. They don't, they are not, they're cursed on Jacob's death. For being violent, is this the is this the instance we think that caused him to be cursed? I don't know. Presumably, and sometimes you just get people cursed, and you don't really know why. Right. I mean, the other thing is, it's like we're gonna get to David's story later, and it's like yeah. David still called a man after God's own heart. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of m multiple chances there. Yeah. All right. So now let's talk about Potiphar's wife. So now we've got. So if you're if you're if you're keeping track as we go along, so. Jacob has 12 sons. Those are the 12 tribes of Israel. Jacob is actually renamed Israel. Mm -hmm. um, one of his oldest son with his favorite wife is Joseph. And so the, well, she only has two. And so um, Joseph 
is a braggart and sort of an asshole, and so his friend, his his brothers get tired of his nonsense and so sell him into slavery. So spoken like an older brother. Yeah. Yes. So the, the favored son who is given, you know, the amazing coat, which might just have had long sleeves or might have been multicolored, right. depending on your translation tradition. Then he gets sold into slavery and he ends up being um, a cupbearer to the pharaoh. So he's in there, he's doing working for this fellow Potiphar, and uh, he, Potiphar puts him in charge of everything. And the scripture says, now Joseph was well-built and handsome. So he's a good-looking dude, right, as in the Bible. And um, after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. Now, she's using her power to have sex with him. Mm-hmm. I, that he doesn't also, sound consensual. He also says no one runs away. Yeah, he, he, he flees. So that's why this is an attempted rape. Because that she's attempting to use power to have cons- sex with him without his consent. Okay. It, and... He, he runs away. First, though, we do need to point out again, this guy is so consistent. It says, in, in, but he refused. But in refusing, he then gives this litany of all the things he's in charge of. Like how important he is. So he, he takes a break to say how important he is. And um, he's, he's also saying, don't screw this up for me. In Joseph's defense. Yeah, yeah. He's, like, yeah. hey, Look mate, how important I got I am. a good thing going on. Your husband likes me. Let's just, just chill here. So her response to that is to grab his, co- his cloak and say, come to bed with me. He runs out of the house without his cloak. Then she goes and accuses him of rape. He attempt, he tra- she then accuses him of trying to rape her, and he gets thrown in jail for it. Um, so I, we had we talked about how it's interesting that we have so few, you know, that the false accusation makes its way into the Bible mm-hmm. in a very prominent story, and that's not super helpful given that false accusations are not common. Right, and that's something we deal with in our in our life today. Is this is women not being believed? Right. So. So, that is also the story then, though, that does get culturally enforced. Of course, she lied. Of course, she wanted this, and right. You know, we have a lot of cultural reinforcement for that. But it's a very interesting um, story, like many of the narratives in Genesis, because it does like it's really open interpretation. Mm-hmm. Like, is she pathetic? And she's asking him to like, you know, she's like, you know, needs some affection and that, right? Or is she this like temptress sort of, you know, uh, you know, whatever, you know, I mean, like you can, like you can really cast it differently depending on what you're right. doing. All right. So then we're going to move on to Second Samuel 11 with David, um, who it is worth noting, the Bible also says is actually ruddy and handsome. Yeah. He's supposed to be this kind of outdoorsy guy, yeah. nice looking dude. Um, and he writes poems and he plays the liar or whatever. Right. So he says like sensitive guy angle also. Right. Totally does. Like, yeah. you know, nice curly haired yeah. shepherd lad playing, yeah. you know, taking care of things. So after all of that is over and he becomes king because he is also the favored one after Saul is deposed by David, then he goes up and he sees a woman bathing on her rooftop and thinks I would like to sleep with that woman. He has her brought to him. He sleeps with her. She, He's now worried about this. She's married. So he's like, oh, well, I'll just bring her husband home from battle. He'll sleep with her, and then nobody will know it was me. Well, her husband's a righteous guy, sleeps outside his house to keep the commandments and not sleep with his wife. Yeah. And so then his only choice is to have Uriah killed. Yeah, so he murders somebody. Right. 
I want to point out that in this story it says here that David sent the messenger to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. Again, also, by the way, we put this in the rape category. Not everybody would. Mm-hmm. Um, there are people who would identify her as a temptress. That's very backward, right? I mean, the king orders you to come someplace and then he has sex with you. That's, that's right. rape. That's what that is. You don't yeah. have you don't have to. Um, the parenthetical here is now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanliness. And then the next sentence is, then they went back, the woman conceived, and sent word today and saying, I'm pregnant. I'm worried about the gynecological accuracy of our scripture, since I feel like their timing on the rhythm method is off. No, it is actually quite good, because the if she was at the end of the cleansing of herself, it is actually right there to get pregnant. The law is written. That's to the like, end of the cleansing. Yeah. All right. It doesn't say we're in that cycle, but yeah. All right. So we're all safe on that. Cycle. We're all safe on, all right. on that. The last one, I guess, I guess we should point out too, that there are consequences for David. Um, the, um, the, um, child dies, mm-hmm. um, and he doesn't get to build the temple. Mm-hmm. So, um, and also he gets to be the subject, the target of the most on-the-nose parable in all scripture. Yes. All right. This last one, I want to read some of this stuff from because I don't know how well it is. I didn't, I hadn't read this in a long time. And it's about the um, rape of Tamar by her half-brother. So Amnon is a son of King David. So is, and then Tamar is a daughter of King David, but they don't have the same mother. Um, Amnon does this, is like, he talks about how much in love with her he is, how enamored he is with her, and he does this scheme to get her alone in his bedroom. Um, and then he says, come to bed with me, my sister. She responds, no, my brother, don't force me to do such a thing, cannot be done in Israel. We don't do such wicked things. What about me? Where could I get rid of my disgrace? And so she sort of goes into this whole shame stuff around it, which is horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, he rapes her. Since he was stronger than her, he raped her. So that's another, like, just like the violence of the story is, like, woven right into the fabric of the telling, you know. The next line is, Then Amon, or Amnon hated her with intense hatred. In fact, he hated her more than he had loved her. And Amon said to her, Get up, get out of here. So he then casts her out, and then she's like, Well, this is worse than you raping me. Then I'm you know, defiled and uh, alone. Like, the, also, that is terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then at the end of that, we have this, you know, and then her brother avenges her by killing him. Like, like right. this, whatever, who gives a shit? Like, it doesn't do anything. So this story, I think, is so upsetting because of this back and forth and this idea that he rapes her and then he immediately hates her, hates her, like, sounds like some, like, sort of sexual psychopath story, like, you know... Um, and it's just a very, very emotionally gruesome story. And this one does not sound nearly as off for me or, like, away from reality. That actually sounds like, well, yeah, this is always how that works. That's what's upsetting about it is how close it is to reality. Right. Is that it does, right, that it plays into the most awfulness of, like, real life. Yeah. All right. So, let's, before we go into the, the next ones. So, now we have a, we have this package of... People being raped. It doesn't seem to me as cold and distant as the code that we read at the top, mm-hmm. right? For one thing, like Dinah should have married Shechem, and then everything would have been fine. Right. They didn't really think it was fine. They schemed and murdered a whole bunch of people over it, right? Yeah. And um, I don't. And then I've had people speculate. I've heard read things that maybe well Bathsheba really was married to a Hittite, so he wasn't really an Israelite. 
So really, was that even wrong? Well, it seems like it was wrong since the kid died. Because since God killed well, the kid. Well, and since God's prophet goes and says, yes. hey, dude, here's what you did and how very right. wrong it was. So, um, yeah, and then in that case, the, the penalty is, is to be put to death, right? And that's not what happened either. Right. So, I think we do have evidence here of the harm that can come from rape and that consent does matter and that that's not just some newfound liberal idea. All right, before we get to the New Testament, we kind of talk about two stories that are about rape, mm -hmm. but they seem to be a different kind of rape. And um, having not done the historical critical homework on this to know where these stories came from, I would even posit that they are similar cultural stories that are just told in two different places as traditions combine, because there are four distinct traditions that combine to make the Old Testament. And happily, they both are in, one is in Genesis 19, the other is in Judges 19. So easy to remember when you want right. to do your work at home. All right, so it's Sodom and Gomorrah, and it's the Levites' concubine. Mm -hmm. In both stories, a traveler goes to visit a city and plans to stay in the square. Right? In the case of Sodom and Gomorrah, it's, what are they, angels? Mm -hmm. And um, That is actually the angel that had just visited Abraham and told him, you're going to be... Yeah. Um, you're going to be the father of many nations. And then they go up to Sodom right. and Gomorrah. But they're called men sometimes mm -hmm. with Abraham and then sometimes yeah. angels. This isn't, is this a place where we use, you see Elohim used in the plural? Legitimately? I don't know. Yeah, I Whatever. have to look. So they're, they're in, the case of, in the case of the, the Levite's concubine, it's the Levite who's been traveling. And he's now in this square. And in both cases, a good person comes and says, no, 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 don't stay out here in this square. Right? right. And, and Lot in the case of Sodom and Gomorrah, an old man in the case of Levi. In both cases, they go back to the guy's house, and then what happens? Then the men come knocking at their door, say, let's send the traveler out so we can rape him. Importantly, in both cases, the every man in the town comes, and in both cases, they want to rape the man. Mm -hmm. Well, that would be horribly inhospitable to allow your guests to be raped. And so, what is their solution of the homeowner in both cases? Take my daughter, who's a virgin. Yes. So, in the case of the concubine, the, she also gets offered up. Mm -hmm. So, it's the old man's virgin daughter, mm -hmm. along with the concubine. And then, in the case of Lot, it's his two virgin daughters. Mm -hmm. um, for Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah, this is where the stories diverge. The angels make everybody blind. They get Lot out. They rain fire and brimstone on top of the Sodom and Gomorrah and destroy the towns. Right. In the case of the concubine, the Levite's concubine, um, they do rape the concubine until she's dead. And then the um, Levite, in a very rational response to that, cuts her up into 12 pieces and sends a piece of her to every one of the... Mm -hmm every one of the different um, tribes of Israel. Right, to warn of the evil and wickedness that has taken their land. Right. So, mercy. So, I don't know. So, what do we do with these those stories? I mean, is there, a, is there something we can... I mean, I really think they are separate and apart from the stories of intimate rape that we had been talking about before. Um, are there morals to be drawn from these stories? So, I think... We see clearly the problem with treating any person as property because mm -hmm. these stories are both rooted in that. Take this person who is yeah. lesser. Um, 
I think these are stories that hit differently in our culture, partly because we don't live in the world of hospitality where you would be expected to take in the stranger. That's actually right. one of our problems right now is, yeah. what do you mean there's a stranger coming in? Well, they might be weird. Let's right. leave them out there. I don't think there's any like good derivative moral other than like, I hey, mean, you know Ezekiel how says, Ezekiel says, the prophet Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel says, Sodom and Gomorrah is about hospitality. Right. Said that the sin of Sodom was they were not hospitable. Yeah. I and mean, it's a rough story if it's just be more hospitable. Right. I mean, you know. Right. I think the other reality is if we were people of a different socioeconomic class in a different place, we would all sit around and tell our stories too. Yeah. Of this thing happening and this person we knew that this happened to and this sort of terrible thing. I had a similar thought when we were talking about the war booty mm -hmm. passage of the... When I think about the the rape codes that are most striking in the ones I call the Kavanaugh uh, section because uh, it's so specific about individual rape and these like dealing with it in a way that I'm not happy or comfortable with. But I'm not, I don't live in an area that has to deal with rape from war. Right. And obviously there are lots of places in the world right now, today, that that is a fact that's happening. Mm -hmm. And so that's what you're saying. There are places where there are mobs. And right. That's a when we talk experience. about immigration and who's crossing our borders, this is what we're talking about. Yes. So if you are appalled by this story and the fact that it's in a sacred text, you should be more appalled that it's happening in a country that people can walk from. Oh, yeah. That's right. And the stories of rape that have happened, have gone, and frankly, and also in our detention centers. Mm-hmm. So, this all leads to a pretty convoluted issue for us to now try and figure out what parts of the New Testament even address it. Mm -hmm. We said if we were writing the rules, we would like for it to say, if you have sex with someone who you are not 100% positive has consented to having sex with you and isn't also ready to have sex, then that's mm -hmm. rape and that's punishable, right? That ain't there. Yeah. That is not in the Old Testament and the New Testament. That is not that's not a part of Scripture. Right. So now we have to look at what guides do we have from New Testament to tee off of these. I actually think the stories, the narratives in the Old Testament actually kind of act as a little bit of a counter to the formal law because I think they sort of show the damage of rape in a different way. Um, but let's start with the teaching of adultery. So what are your thoughts on how does that apply? So... Um, Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to love, lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. So this is always, this text comes up in the lectionary with some regularity. Super fun. Always a nice week. Um, first of all, it does matter to me that this is consistent with the Old Testament idea that rape is rooted in lust, not just about power. And yeah. I think for our culture that that is a different narration. Yeah. Um, it matters to me that Jesus then flips sexual violence. Sexual violence becomes something self-imposed. I think that is one of the problems with this text is we're still really uncomfortable with sex and violence together. And so when Jesus says, oh, lust then do this violence to yourself, that makes us actually more uncomfortable than rape because it is so antithetical to the world that we live in. And this scripture is pretty close to the eunuch scripture. Mm -hmm. So like, by the way, here when it says put out your eye, it seems to n notably skip the member that would cause, the part of your body that would cause sin. Right. This, like the eye seems to be a 
you know, burying the lead, if you will. Like it seems like there's, you know, you could be talking about something else. But that that the unique scripture is actually very close to that. Yeah. Um, and then, and this kind of gets into the idea of one of the things. So, First Corinthians six is one of the clobber scriptures where we talk about sexual immorality, mm-hmm. and usually it's used about like don't be gay. Right. And so we don't like it for that purpose. But I do think that. I mean, there's no question that Paul would think that everyone in their four stories engaged in sexual immorality, mm-hmm. right? David engaged in sexual immorality. So did, um, um, so did Amnon. So did uh, Shechem, right? Right. So, and our problem is their codification of sexual immorality and our discomfort with naming what is sexually immoral and what is not. So, like, we can agree that things that are out of balance of power are a problem. But once we get past that, we get really uncomfortable with the, the codification of sexuality. Right. And what would we consider immoral as people of faith versus what is acceptable. But we can come together on the idea of bodies matter. Mm-hmm. And that we aren't some pure being of light that like happens to inhabit this temporary body. That we are a body. Right. And that So when Paul talks about the body is not meant for sexual morality but for the Lord, we can say, you know what, that's... That's a good point. Like, that is real. Yeah. And so when you're using um, bodies to do violence, to attack someone, that is particularly sinful. Mm-hmm. I think that we can get on board with that. Um, the last one of these, like, scriptures that we don't, you know, we don't necessarily... I mean, you know, First Corinthians is a real mixed bag of a letter. But in chapter 7, it has this bit where, like, um, husbands and wives ought to have sex with each other. Right. Um, and so, um, <laughs> of course, it's couched in this, like so that they don't go out and do sexually immoral things. So, but it's, there's no winning with Paul, but, you know, so uh, whatever. But, I mean, the, this idea, and one of the cool things about this is, it does talk about you should consent to each other. Mm-hmm. You should, you should, you should have, you know, the, it, it... It's one of our stronger and only examples of marriage between a man and woman as equally balanced, and each one getting to say yes, yes. and no. And a whole bunch of biblical tradition that is the woman as property. And it's very and it's literally equal. It's not like husbands right. like it's wives not obey Ephesians. your marriages and yeah. husbands love yeah. your wives. It's like straight equal. Like you right. should be both. And so I think particularly what did you say nineteen ninety three was in the end of marital when it became possible to rape your wife? Yes. I mean, you know, that's a that's a pretty recent uh, human history. Yeah. Um, to where we so in this case we do see some some advances from the scripture. So I think we can we can we can summarize things to say that I do think our faith leads us to un, to value humans. I think our faith leads us to recognize that we are bodies that bodies matter and puts us on the road to ideas about consent and autonomy and respecting the individuality of the other. Yeah. And the other thing that I would say is we are sitting here and we acknowledge these stories in the Bible are highly problematic. And I think that for us as progressive Christians, it matters to continue to talk about the things that we know are in there. We're not hiding this. Right. We're saying, wow, this is a problem for us. Wow, you know, it's, it's good that David had consequences because that's one of the stories that actually matters to having consequences. Yeah. But also the acknowledgement that with this... We believe that the Holy Spirit continues to move through the church gathered and that we can continue to discern God's will in conversation with these stories, but not beholden to these stories in the same way, not trying to replicate them. Right. Not everything in the Bible is good. Right. Don't be like Samson. (laughs) Don't be like Samson. Last week's sermon. If you got nothing else, don't (laughs) Don't be be like Samson. Samson. All right. Well, I think that'll um, uh, wrap us up for now. Thank you um, for listening.
And until next time, cheers.